Well, again, it's great to see all of you this morning. We are in the third week of a very short sermon series called God and Grow and Go. We go through these values, these great ends of the church every year at this time to kind of remind ourselves as a community, what are we trying to be about? What are our pursuits? What, if we were to picture what God wants for us as a church in years to come, what might it be? And so when we come back to these three values, it's as much a refresher to myself and to others in leadership as it is to all of us. These are the things we want to be about. So when we say we gather, we, we gather for worship, we gather in person, we gather online, we try to make sure that that's a value and we set aside that time. When we say we want to grow, as we learned last week, yes, we're talking about growing our minds and our discipleship, but actually I think a greater challenge for our church for this stage of life that we're in is growing in our sense of how to speak the gospel to other people's lives, to literally grow in the sense that we want to see people come into the kingdom of God, people following Jesus who weren't following Jesus before a conversation or a relationship upon us. That is how we as a church desire to grow. And today we're talking about go. And so what does that mean? Go is literally the word that Jesus uses in a great commission. And when we say the word go throughout the rest of the morning, I just want you to think about this. Go doesn't literally mean packing up all your bags, moving to a foreign country, and restarting your life. People do that. And you may be called to do that. But I believe today's text is actually about how to go, how to be in the presence of Christ, how to witness to Christ right where you are, doing what he is uniquely called you to do. The root of this word go comes to us from the Great Commission. This is at the very end of Matthew's Gospel when Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's about to ascend to the Father, and he leaves these instructions with his disciples. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's the word. What does it say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When we come back to the word go, we come back to this. We come back to Jesus asking his people, requiring his people to not simply sit where we are, to be content in our comforts, but to say, you know what, there's a horizon out there. There is, there is an adventure. There is a sense of God doing something that I need to be a part of, and it might cost me some of my comfort. Now, when I say that, I think for many of us, we don't immediately go, well, of course I need to be talked out of my comforts. Like, most of us don't think about how comfortable we are. Most of us don't take an opportunity to reflect on the barriers and the challenges to us actually stepping forth into this mission that God has that Jesus articulated for us. We don't really want to awaken to this reality. And I have two theories about why that's so true. These are the biggest barriers I hear to people on the east side stepping into the mission of God, stepping into what Jesus described in Matthew 28. And I bet you'll know the first one. I don't have time. I don't have time. If you said that to your spouse in the last week, you can just do a little fist bump, a little elbow, a little like, hey, I heard you say that this morning. I don't have time. And I'm just going to kind of dissect that for us before we get into what the text is saying, because this might be a barrier that you're feeling right now. And I want to do our level best to pull that down and diagnose what it actually is, which is a whisper, a flirtation of the enemy to keep you from having the joy and the excitement that he wants in, that Jesus wants in your life. I don't have time. You know what that says? It says, I think I'm pretty important. It's thinly veiled self-importance. By the way, as I critique this, this is for me. Like, I have said often, I don't have time. I have thought to myself, 
how could I possibly add one more thing to my life? I get it. I'm trying to bring us through that. So it is thinly veiled self-importance, which the enemy loves to tell us how important we are. He loves to try to tell us how, you know, your time is just so precious and so valuable. How could you possibly use it by teaching kids or by delivering food to someone who shut it? I mean, just, you know, you've got so much going on. And the culture that we're a part of, especially here on the east side, which we, again, talked about the last couple of weeks, it only perpetuates that sense of self-importance. I'm a VP. I'm a manager. I have direct reports. I have these things. I have these responsibilities. My company tells me I'm important. Therefore, I must be. But thinly veiled self-importance is very different than taking your responsibilities in your work or your parenting or your family seriously. Because thinly veiled self-importance leads to the second problem, which is subservience to the pace and expectations of others. We run at a fast pace on the east side. I've lived in plenty of other places, big cities, small towns. I have never lived anywhere that runs quite as fast as we do. On to the next thing. Finish this project. Do this. Make sure you have time in your calendar for this. Block this out. And all that's all fine and good, honestly. I think it allows for good spiritual but when we are subservient to the pace of others, when we look at the person running next to us on the treadmill and go, oh man, they're at like an eight, I'm only at a 7.5. I gotta raise up my treadmill. That's bad. Because then we're not allowed to be the people that God has called us to be. We only live in comparison to the person on the treadmill next to us. Then we build self-importance, subservience to the pace and expectations of others. I have done both way too much in my life. How about you? Do you want to keep living that way? I don't. I'm, I'm tired of it. I have to continually remind myself when I say I don't have time. Ooh, I just gave myself a nice pat on the back for not working. Ooh, let me pause. Let me just take this before the Lord. I offer this at the top again as a way for us to pull down some of the resistance we feel. Whatever pastor starts telling us, you need to go, you need to be involved in mission, you need to do things that bless and serve the world. Don't let the enemy steal this opportunity from you by telling you that you're so important, by telling you that your time is so valuable. It is valuable. You are important. You are valuable. But not to the extent that he wants you to believe. Not to the extent that you put up a barrier to God doing something with your time, to him disrupting your schedule, to him speaking something to you that would really mess up your comfort, but that might call you into the greatest adventure he's ever conceived. So we're going to look at how this plays out in the lives of these disciples that have this encounter with Jesus. We have the opportunity to rediscover that there is joy in being called to go and being called to serve and being sent forth on this great commission. So today's text uh, is broken out into three different parts for us. This is kind of our outline. If you're an outline person, we're going to talk about our context. We're going to talk about a job and a calling. And then we're going to talk about a new path. Context, a job and a calling, and a new path. And the thesis statement, the thing that kind of unites this this morning is really simple. Those who are called must go. Those who experience God's call, those who hear Jesus' voice, and even trembling, even, oh, I don't know about this, you must go. We must go. And we'll talk about some real-life examples of that toward the end. First, let's talk about the context. Where do we see this playing out? This is Matthew chapter 4. So right before this are some huge events in Jesus' life. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. We talked about that in our gather sermon. And this is a profound moment of worship. 
This is an unbelievable moment. The people gathered at the river. They see the Spirit of God descending on this scraggly looking guy with a really scraggly looking guy next to him. And they're all going, what is going on? And then this voice moves and says, this is my son's beloved. And who am I love, please? And that's no accident that that happened then, because right after that is when that identity, when that conferring of blessing and love that God gave to Jesus, that is at its most testing. When Jesus heads off into the wilderness later on in Matthew chapter 3. And the devil throws every trick at him in the book. He literally throws the Bible at Jesus and tries to get him to serve him and to love him. And Jesus won't. So then he returns. And in Luke's gospel, this is so fascinating, Luke's gospel relates this detail. This setting, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is located, he lived there. Now, I always think of Jesus as someone who doesn't really live anywhere. He doesn't have a P.O. box, he doesn't have a mailbox, you can't, you know, track him down. Maybe he has some kind of similar experiences to people who are experiencing homelessness in our community. He's kind of itinerant. He goes where he's going to go, wherever the wind takes him. But in Luke's Gospel, in the account of this event, it says Jesus lived by the Sea of Galilee. He set up shop. Maybe he had a home there. Maybe he had neighbors. Since he was a carpenter by trade, maybe he got into that trade for a while while he was there. The significance of this, though, is for us to contextualize this to our own backyard. What's the, the biggest road near where you live? Just picture that for just a minute, right? Like, so for us, we live right by Evergreen Hospital. It's like 124th, 132nd. If you live in Bellevue, maybe you kind of back up to Bell Red Road. You, you drive up and down Bell Red all the time. If you're in Bothell, maybe you're just up the hill, Main Street. If you're in Kenmore, you ride along Lake City Way. Think of the main thoroughfare near where you live. Just picture that. This is taking place similar to what you picture. This is Jesus' backyard. This is the most ordinary of ordinary places for him. And that should never, ever dissuade us from being open to the work of God. You can be called to go, to serve, to live into the Great Commission in the most ordinary circumstances. Because that's exactly what happens to Jesus and to these disciples in this moment. Now, let's talk about the next section, the job versus the calling. Let's look at verses 18 and 19 real quick. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, as he walked by Bell Red Road, as he walked by 85th and Kirkland, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? They were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish. For people. I want to focus on that phrase, for they were fishermen. You can replace the word for with because, because they were fishermen. Why were they there? Why did Jesus happen to find them in this place? Because they were fishermen. And so what do they do? They're at work. Now, your work may have happened over the last 18 months at your kitchen table, but think about your work pre-COVID. Think about your drive to work. Think about your office or your school. Think about the regular places that you would settle into the water cooler, the coffee maker, the copier, all that kind of thing. These guys, these two brothers, are at work. And the word that's used in the Greek to describe them, the word for fishermen is halios, which kind of sounds like halibut, which is kind of fun. But it's not built off the word fish, it's built off the word salt. And if you were to translate this word a little differently, the word fisherman literally translates to those who have salt on them. Why would a fisherman have salt on them? Well, watch deadliest catch. You don't stay dry very long when you're a fisherman, do you? 
The waves crash through your boat, you get soaked, and literally, like, think about this. Think about the last time you went to the ocean. How does salt water feel on your skin? It feels very grainy. Grainy. It feels different than when you go jump in Lake Washington when you jump in your shower. Hopefully, you don't take salt water showers. If you do, we should have a conversation. But the salt on them is how people know that they're fishermen. This is a job. They are working a job. And right now in your life, you may feel like you were just working a job. My first job after college was driving a delivery van for a commercial printing company. I drove around the city where I was living at the time, and the back of the van would be filled up with menus for a restaurant or pamphlets for a new business or a, a big van or someone wanted to hang in front of their shop. And that was just a job. I would drive around and deliver those things and listen to sports talk. It's just a job. Do you feel like your job right now is that? It's just a job. How about your marriage? It's just, it's just being married. It's just what it is right now. Parenting can feel that way too. And I don't say any of that to say like shame on us. I say that because it is in that ordinary moment of like, this is just a job that Jesus encountered these two men. And he encounters two other men in the end of our story. He says the exact same thing to them. I have so much more for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's got so much more for you. Go ahead. He's got so much more for you than driving a commercial, the delivery van for the commercial printing company. What is that? It's this next phrase. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. The Greek behind fish for people is literally the word fisherman, which he just used a moment ago, polyus. And people, polyus anthropos. Anthropology being the study of people in human cultures, polyus anthropos. Fish for people. The, the four is implied. What does he mean by that? Well, Eugene Peterson has a great take on this message translation. He says this. This is Jesus saying this to the two brothers. Can you hear those words tenderly, by the way? Can you hear those words lovingly and graciously, but firmly said to you? Come on. I'll make a new kind of fisherman, a fisherwoman, or a fisher person out of you. I'll show you how to catch women instead of perch and bass. Here's the key to what Jesus is saying. He's not asking these guys to haul off to seminary, to go do a bunch of things, to jump through a bunch of hoops. He's saying, I see you where you are right now. You, you are fishermen. You are doing the work of fishing. And later on, when he talks to uh, the sons of Zebedee, he says, I see where you are. You're mending nets. You are doing your work. And that's good. But if you just stay within that realm, you will miss what I'm calling you to do, which is that and a little bit more. Actually, a lot. It is taking your work, taking your responsibilities, taking your fishing, whatever your equivalent of fishing is, and saying, this is the Lord's work. I might be driving a commercial... A driving delivery man for a commercial printing company, but this is the Lord's work. And I am called to it. And I surrender it to him. He's asking these simple fishermen to just come along with him. And the basis of what he's saying is you have no qualifications, and that makes you perfect. You have no training, and that makes you perfect. You have nothing to lose, and that makes you perfect. Now, if we think about it kind of logically, we start to go, wait a minute, what if these guys have families? Like, what about the family fishing business? Like, what happened? Who knows? 
I don't know. All I know is that their calling was to drop everything and follow Jesus. And I bet you if we did a little survey of people in the room, you have people in your life who have done something very simple. Literally dropped everything and said, we have to go. I can't explain it, but we have to move. We have to take our family here. We have to go be missionaries. And I think that is a hugely important and vital calling in the church. But I think that's a smaller percentage of people that are here in this room. And every one of us needs to consider not, do I need to haul off and do what these guys did? But do I need to figure out a way to do the work of fishing where I am? Right where I am. And not listen to the excuses of, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, I don't think I can do it right. Jesus says, I will take you as you fish, as you have salt on you, and lead you into my service. This is our calling. And this is where we need to talk about a new path. Because those who are called must go. Say with me, those who are called must go. We have to go. These brothers, they didn't just sit there and go like, okay, uh, let me check my calendar. Uh, let me make sure, you know, all of our balance sheets are up to date. I need to send my out-of-office message on my email. Like, let's, let's, let's just get it all tidied up. They have to go. They have to go fish for people. You know what happens at the very end of today's text? The same thing. The exact same thing. Jesus comes to, the, comes to these two guys mending their nets and says, come and follow me. And Matthew uses his word immediately because Matthew loves the word immediately. Immediately they go and follow him. And I think he said the exact same thing to them, just a little differently. The fishermen, come with me and I will show you how to fish for people. Hey, you guys mending your nets, come and net people. Come and do what you were doing in such a way that the presence of Jesus, that my power is revealed to other people. Right where you are is the perfect place for Jesus to use you. It is. And take comfort in that. But be warned that the enemy wants you to listen to that whisper. I don't have time. And the world will lose and become darker and less filled with God's spirit when we say, I don't have time. I don't. I want to give you an example of somebody from our church who's really taken this seriously. Emily, who I mentioned earlier, has been leading up our response to the crisis in Afghanistan. And if you think about it, it's like, what? this is a global challenge. This is huge. I have a cousin who serves in the military. He just got back from one of the military bases on the East Coast processing Afghan refugees. He did that 18 hours a day for a month. This is a massive undertaking. And so some might say, well, what in the world could just a church like ours do? And I'll tell you what we can do. We can get behind someone like Emily, who worked in refugee resettlement for years, who understands how hard it is, who is not naive to the cost of this, and who said, you know what, we need to do something. And so she organized our supply drive. She emailed me and said, hey, do I want to do this? Here's when I want to turn it in. Can you help people know about it? And then let's make sure it happens. And I said, absolutely. And internally, there's no greater joy as a pastor when you get an email like that. <laughs> Other than people coming in the name of Jesus Christ. It's like, you want to do a ministry and you want to run it and you're passionate about it and I just get to help you? Yes, this is great. And we had a tremendous response to the needs of these Afghan refugees. My mother-in-law in Duke Harbor went out and bought a dustpan and a broom and mailed it to me so I could bring it here so it could go to our Afghan refugee friends. She was so inspired by hearing what Emily was trying to do. And I'm so proud of our church for rising to that occasion, but I want to offer this caution. 
What if Emily had said, I don't have time to do that? I don't have time. And she can say that. She's got two boys, she's got a husband, she's got a home, she's got work. Very easily could have said, I don't have time. We, I, would not have been inspired by her response if she said, I don't have time. We, as a church, would not have contributed a significant amount of resources to people who desperately need them. My cousin that I was telling you about that was over on the East Coast with the Army, he told me that these refugees are coming in literally with clothes on their backs and maybe a song. Maybe. No ID, no food, no water. They're literally scooped out of a terrible situation and brought to our country. And because Emily said, you know what, the Lord's calling me to this. I don't know what fishing looks like, but this feels like fishing to me. I need to do this. There's so many other people in our church who have said, I could say I don't have time, but I have to do this. I must do this. There's another woman in our church named Beth, and she is the hub of her neighborhood. And she is the pastor. She is, and her family care for the people in their neighborhood profoundly. And their neighborhood is a richer and better place for it. And people I know are seeing the light of Christ in their life. And what if she said, I don't have time? I can't. I'm too busy. She's got four little kids. Very easily could say, I don't have time. But she didn't. And their neighborhood is an amazing place because of that church. And I believe every one of you, because you're here this morning, because Jesus touched you on the shoulder, because your friend texted you and said, Come with me to church, there is something that God wants you. I believe that. And it may be something you're already doing and, and just keep going in that. But maybe you need to hear this because I need to hear this this week. The excuse of I don't have time is lame. And especially in a post-COVID world, our world does not need followers of Jesus to say I don't have time. It needs followers of Jesus who say wisely, prayerfully, with discernment, I can help. I want to offer a couple of reflections as we close. This will be fodder for your discussion groups. How do we make this live in our lives? First and foremost, before we do anything, we must listen carefully to Jesus' voice. So carefully. These disciples that encountered Jesus, the fishermen, the men, the men the nets, they heard it. I mean, they auditorily heard it. It was in their presence. He was with them. But have you taken the time to hear Jesus' voice? Have you taken a moment to sit out on your front porch, drink your coffee, and just go, Lord, what would you have me do today? How can I serve you? I'm intrigued by this question of what does it mean to fish where I am? This is question number two. What, who and what are your fish? Who are you uniquely able to connect with and serve? Remember how the fishermen, they, they got the name because they had salt on them? What's your salt? What do you have on you as a result of your profession? If you work in tech and you have that glorious suntan from your computer screen, you have salt on you. You speak tech to other people. I don't speak tech. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but you do. You are uniquely put and able to fish in that world. If you're an educator, you know how to talk to other educators. If you're an attorney, you know how to talk to other attorneys. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you know how to talk to other parents. What's the fish that God has uniquely put in front of you? And finally, start fishing. Just try to talk to someone about an opportunity to bless and serve someone else. Tell them about what we're doing to try to respond to Afghan refugees. Tell them about needs in our community. 
When we get requests from our school partnerships, just like I did this week, and they say, hey, we need you to come help with something. That's an opportunity to say to friends, even friends far from Christ, hey, there's this opportunity. My church is doing this. I'd love for you to be a part of it. That is going because that is seeking to fish, to bring someone into the family of faith, to tell them about the mission that God has for us. There's going to be so many cool ways for us to do ministry and missions together in the fall, but it begins when we stop telling ourselves that we don't have time. And we just start fishing. We ask the Lord, Lord, show me what that looks like. I'd love to know. I long to know what you would have for me. Yes, it'll cost me some of my convenience. It'll cost me some of my comfort. But it just might be an amazing adventure. We're going to turn now to a time uh, in our discussion groups. And so for those of you that are new, one of the things we learned during uh, the time when we were worshiping online is that our, our community loves to talk to each other. And we'd love to help each other grow and encourage each other through these small group fellowships. So in a minute, you're going to turn your chairs, you can lift them up and kind of turn them around, get in groups of no bigger than six, and just talk to each other. Your first question, and these questions are in your bulletin, your first question is just going to be, how are you? How was your week? Maybe share a high point or a low point. And then the second one, which I changed up on you last minute, is to just respond to these three prompts and say, which one of these feels the hardest to you? Which one feels like it might be in your grasp? Like, I think I might be able to tell you what my fish are, but which one feels like the hardest to you? Why? I would just ask that when you're in your groups, that you give everybody a chance to talk, that uh, when someone shares something heavy or weighty, that you just honor their confidence and you honor their trust. And these use these groups as a great tool. If you're brand new and you just say, hey, I just want to listen, like I don't know anybody here, that's fine. You'll be free to listen and just enjoy hearing other people reflect. But I hope you'll courageously step into this opportunity. We'll have about uh, 12 minutes to be in our breakout rooms. Our kids are going to have their breakout room in the back. And then we'll regather and finish our time. So would you join me in Lord God, thank you for tugging on our hearts about this adventure. But being sent forth to go, to bless, to serve others, to go to the ends of the earth, if that is our calling, or to go right into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighbors' homes, safely and wisely, and say, hey, the Lord is up to something. Would you like to join me in? Would you like to join me in helping care for Afghan refugees? Would you like to join me in filling up the food pantry here at IPC? However we are called to go, would you enliven our imagination, stir up a passion for this in our lives. May this time in our breakout rooms and these discussions, may they be used for your home. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.